morning, St. Michael's, will you stand? Lord, we're just so grateful for this season of Advent that you brought to us. It gives us time to just pause and reflect and really be, be willing and ready for you to come, Lord, with all this bustle and all the craziness just of the holidays and Christmas and this year especially. We just release all of that to you.
Bless the Lord who forgives our sins. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. This. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Please, Neil. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution and remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy.
worship you. All I did was bow down. All I did was stay still. All we did was buy. 
Let's pray together. The Colette. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. And because we are sorely hindered by our sins, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. I'm going to call up our ushers. We're going to be honoring them. It's our privilege during Advent to honor those people who serve us in ministry. We've got Sam and Drake coming up today. Uh, it's interesting, right? Because when you want to honor Sam, you, you run into some issues of labeling, right? Because he's an usher, but he does so much more for the church. He's also our sexton and many of the, uh, the beautiful wood, the doors, everything. He's always here when we need him to fix things, to put things into place, to beautify the house of God. And what a holy calling that he has doing that. So we're going to go ahead and have him light it. And then, Bishop, could you lead it while I help him light that? The... All righty. Together, come and save us, O Lord God of hosts. Come and save us, O Lord God of hosts. Show the light of your countenance, and we shall be saved. Lord God of hosts. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Come and save us, O Lord God of hosts. Show us your mercy, O Lord. And grant us your salvation. Amen. All right, let's give him a hand. You may be seated. Our first lesson comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. Now it came to pass, when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart. For the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, 
from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a great name like the name of great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. The word of the Lord. This morning's psalm is Psalm 89, beginning at verse 19. Please respond by the asterisk. Then you spoke in a vision to your Holy One. I have found my servant David, with whom my hand shall be established. The enemy shall not outwit him. I will beat down his foes before his face. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him. Also, I will set his hand over the sea. He shall cry to me, You are my Father. My God, my Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, will be Our epistle this morning is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 16, verse 25, commencing. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forevermore. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the reading of the gospel.
The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. St. Luke, chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to thee. You may be seated. <clears throat> I got to tell you guys, I never cease to be amazed at how God works in our lives. This morning, I was getting my sermon together, and I promise you that every possible conceivable obstacle came into my way to make it harder for me to pull this sermon together. But do you know what? It's so funny because right before the service, Bishop prays with us who are going to be ministering. And Bishop said, as he was praying, and he's never prayed this particular prayer before, but he goes, it's the word is in you. And he prayed that as a part of his prayer as a prophetic declaration against my own insecurity that came up because I was trying to do what God wanted me to do. And I couldn't do it in my own ability. I didn't have the ability to get the word together to bring the way that I thought I should in order to be excellent at what I do. And what's fascinating about that is in this sermon, one of the key parts that God highlighted to me, we're going to be talking about the story of Mary, is the fact that it's not because Mary is so amazing that she gets to bear the Son of God. It's because God the Lord favors her. It's not by her ability that she creates the Son of the Lord, but by God's ability. And then we come in and we worship the Lord and we sing these songs, and every song is declaring that gospel truth. And so I'm encouraged, even as I begin this sermon in my spirit, that God is moving this morning, that God has something he wants to say to each and every one of you. And even in the song that we were singing, our last worship song, where we were talking about, holy, there is no one like you, we said, open our eyes to see you and grow in wonder, right? And you know what my title for this sermon is? Moving from cynicism to wonder. That's the title of the sermon today. 
So God is moving. Be encouraged and open up your ears because he has something he wants to say. And luckily for you, it's not by my strength that he's speaking this morning. It's by the Holy Spirit that he wants to speak to each of us. So let's start by talking about this story. And I want to explain my title. What happens in this world, whether we like it or not, is that we get buffeted by the difficulties, the tragedies, the disappointments of our life. We even get buffeted by the mundane nature of our life where we do the same thing over and over again. That can create a dreariness in our soul, a tiredness. Has anybody here ever felt tired? (laughs) I mean, of course we have. We've all felt that where we're just tired. But God knows, right? In the psalm, we see him saying, he knows that we are men, that we are but dust. We're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Well, I guess that's the wicked. But still, we're like as dust. We, we, we're, we're here one day and we're gone the next. He knows our weakness. And so, in the liturgy and in the liturgical calendar, we have the church listening to the, being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, has designed all of this to take us through the seasons, to remind us, hey, if you're tired at the end of your year, if you feel like you've been buffeted by 2020, if you feel like you've taken on wounds, well, guess what? In Advent, we remind you, God is coming to heal those wounds, to free the captives, to raise up and comfort the brokenhearted, and to make your eyes see in wonder There's a reason why every Advent we go through these readings that talk about the promises of God to save us. Because we don't just need it once. We need it every day, every year. We need to be reminded to open our eyes in wonder. Let's approach these stories that you may have heard a hundred times with eyes that are open to see what God wants to speak to us. Because we believe that the Bible, the Word of God, is living and active. And that no matter how many times you read it, the Holy Spirit can still use it to transform the way that you think. So we're going to enter in this story today. We're going to talk about the Annunciation. We actually have an icon of the Annunciation on the back wall. But because I don't want you all to have to face that way the whole time I'm preaching, I'm going to throw it up on the screens here for you. This is an icon by Leonardo da Vinci. And uh, why is it up there? Just because I like it. It's beautiful. There's so much about it that we could talk about, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I'll just say this. What Leonardo da Vinci was trying to do in this painting was to show the beauty and the wonder of the moment when Gabriel entered in. And he did it through his own cultural lens. So if you look, Mary looks like a beautiful Italian woman from the Renaissance, right? She doesn't look like the Middle Eastern teenager that we're talking about. But he's trying to bring the wonder of the moment to his present time, to show people, to make it relevant. Because although... The story is specific and particular, and it's important that it was a Palestinian Jewish teenager. It's also important that Mary represents each one of us as we steward the promises of God. That Gabriel is the messenger of God who wants to come in. God wants to bring the promises of his purposes to fulfillment in our lives. And we need to remember the wonder of that moment. So that's just going to sit up there while we talk this morning. And we're just going to start. We're going to start reading, and I'm going to pull out some things. I did some reading on this, and I felt like God highlighted some lessons that we can pull from this that are going to renew our wonder at the story of what's going on here. So we'll start. You just heard it in Luke 1, 26. Now in the sixth month, 
the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So Gabriel, right? This is the, the angel of our Lord. I think we, I'm just, this is a side note, but I think we have two, uh, we ignore angels too much in these stories sometimes because we don't see them very often. I know people who've claimed to see angels and praise the Lord, but God is not limited in his ability to send help in our times of needs. And so I'm just going to put that out there, that you can actually ask God to send his angels to watch over and protect you as a part of what, how he moves in the world. And it's this wonderful thing, right? When the angels come in, there's always a reaction of awe and wonder. But when we read it, we sometimes are like, yeah, Gabriel, I dressed up as Gabriel one time for the school play. Like, I know what it's like. It's like, no, we, we really don't understand the glory of the angel coming in and meeting Mary. So you need to kind to open up your eyes and think, okay, what would happen if a heavenly being, an angel, showed up in your room? And Gabriel means the strength of God. So God has sent out his strength, and what is this strength going to to accomplish? Well, it's precisely the meaning of what's happening in the Annunciation. God's strength is in his self-limitation, his humbling himself to be clothed in the flesh as a human baby born of a virgin. The strength of God is in the humility of God, in the fact that he was willing to be the most vulnerable creature imaginable, a human baby who is reliant on his mother for every need. That's the God who like created the universe. That God entered into flesh because he so desperately wanted to save us, and he wanted fellowship with us. When it says Gabriel, the strength of God, we're not talking about Gabriel, the strength of God, who's smiting God's enemies. We're talking about Gabriel, the strength of God, the baby. The Gabriel, the one who announced the baby that's coming, entering into our brokenness. It reminds us that it is not by might, nor by power, but by his spirit that he accomplishes purposes. It would have been really easy for God to send a host of angels with a lot of fanfare and be like, this is my son, hello, bow down before him. But thats you'll see throughout this entire story, that's not how he chooses to work. When we are weak, and I don't know if there's much that's weaker than an oppressed Palestinian Jewish teenager who is ruled over by these oppressive Romans who has no power in herself. All of her rights and power and authority is in her betrothed or in her father. She has no power. And yet in that weakness, God did something that has changed the shape of eternity, has changed the shape of the world. And in that weakness, God can be made strong. And then we move on, right? So that's all, that's like, we got to maybe the sixth word. So this is going to be a while, right? We're going to take a while through this sermon? No, I'm just kidding. But we're going to talk about, so that's just the name of Gabriel. And then it says, there's all these names that come up in here. And I think it's important for us to put ourselves in some of the context of what's happening. Why is Luke, who's telling the story, so intent on telling us things like this? He went to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And the reason, and you'll see this throughout the story, is that Luke is throwing out these buzzwords for those who read it, that there are prophecies and promises that have been stewarded by the Israelites for thousands of years about the Messiah, the Savior, who is coming. And one of those things is that he's going to raise up a Savior out of the city of Nazareth. 
And if that doesn't, I, I, there's a there's a place where we're like, yeah, okay, we've heard it before, we get it. Jesus is of Nazareth, and he's the Nazarene. There's even a church of the Nazarene. We we're familiar with that. That we we forget. This is we're talking about something where God talked to somebody, hundreds if not thousands of years before the event happened, and said, hey, I'm going to bring up my Savior out of the city of Nazareth. That's crazy. That's crazy that somebody could hear the purposes of God hundreds of years before they happened. There's something that God's doing. And again and again in this story, we'll point out those times when God brings up something that is a prophecy from the Old Testament that he's fulfilling. Since the beginning of time, every religion, every thought process in humanity has been trying to find a way to save ourselves from the fall, from the difficulties, the pain and tragedies of this life. And what God is doing in these prophecies is he's saying, I'm the answer. And when you see the city of Nazareth, it's not just a location. It's not just something like that. It's something to remind us that this is tying into the history of God's redemptive plan from the beginning. Every one of the prophecies that we see in the Old Testament, we look for their fulfillment in Jesus. And you'll see these details kind of coming up throughout the story. So now in the sixth month, angel Gabriel sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Now this one's a little bit crazy. I was talking to Haley once about this, and she asked me a really profound question. Why does Mary have to be a virgin? Like, why do we have to believe not only that God came in the flesh, but that God also impregnated a virgin girl? Like, we know how babies are made, or some of us know how babies are made, and that's not how it works usually. That's not how it works. Why did God choose a virgin? Well, there's a few reasons why. Number one, it fulfills the prophecy, like we're talking about these promises. It fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says that the Messiah will be born of a virgin. And number two, it represents the purity of Mary. And that reminds me of Jesus, right, the the baby we're talking about. Later on in his ministry, he talks about, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So it reminds us of the purity of Mary. But furthermore, and I think maybe most importantly, it confirms the fact that God is saving us by his own power. There's no father, earthly father, who can take credit for Jesus' birth. It is God the Lord who reaches out in his saving power and causes our salvation because the power of man could never save us. These all confirm the wonder of what's happening in this moment. And then she's betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. There's a moment where you have to stop and every time you talk about Mary, you have to remind everybody of this. She was probably like 13, 14, 15 years old when this is happening. I don't think we can even put ourselves in the mindset of a 13-year-old in those days. But imagine the youth of this person, the humility that she has, the, the, the God's just so much different than we think he should be. Because you know what? He should have picked a princess in the Roman palace and had her bear his child. Because then his child would have been a prince, would have had influence, the way that we think of influence, power, the way we think of power. And yet he's, he picks a 14-year-old. Why would you do that? 14-year-old girls are not the most intelligent, wonderful people in the world, right? 
I mean, neither are 14-year-old men. That's like the only thing he could have picked that would have been more dangerous is a 14-year-old man. But the point here is that God works outside of what we expect him to work. And you have to view Mary's responses from the mindset of a teenage girl. You have to be aware that this, this teenage girl is thrust into a story that she cannot fathom. It makes me more in awe of the way she eventually responds. God is always fulfilling his prophecies, right? Uh, so it says, Joseph of the house of David. And what did we just read in our Old Testament? We read the promise of God to David that he would establish his kingdom forever. That's a big promise. That's a big promise. And you know what? A couple generations after David's gone, his whole kingdom falls apart. They, there's civil war. There's murder. There's intrigues. There's so much evil and suffering that happens in the kingdom of David. But you know, God has a bigger perspective than we do. God has promised you things. And this is a thousand years after that promise. God has promised you things. And we get upset when it doesn't happen next month. Or by the end of the year. God works in ways that we have difficulty comprehending. And we need to remind ourselves of the wonder of the story of how God fulfills his promises. So that when we encounter those things in the world where God has told us stuff. He has promised us stuff. And we just feel heartbroken because we don't have it. We remind ourselves of these stories to say, hey, God's still moving. I can still stand on the fact that no matter how God fulfills his promises. I know who God is, and he is a promise keeper. He will fulfill his promises, even if it takes a thousand years. Now, I'm not saying that the promises God has given you are going to happen to your great, 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 great grandchildren, but I am saying we need to constantly remind ourselves that there's a bigger perspective and that that's a message of great hope. God works not only in our life, but he works in our lifetimes, in generations, and in eternity. So when you turn yourself to God, when you turn yourself to the ways of God, you're actually establishing something that brings blessing and prosperity on the generations that follow you. The reason God made that promise to David was because he turned his life to God. He sought God throughout his life. And when he messed up, he ran back to God. When he turned away from God and he experienced the pain of sin, he ran right back to God. And because he did that, God blessed his children's 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 children. So what are we doing today that will bless our children's children's children? Let's move on. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. So this is fascinating, and I'm not going to go down the scholastic rabbit hole, but this this greeting, the rejoice, highly favored one, you don't see it anywhere else in all of Scripture. This is the only place you see it. And really, it's probably better translated, hail, full of grace, or one who is full of grace. There's something important here, because that word hail, is, is a, it, it does mean rejoice, but it, it, it's actually a greeting that, in the Latin, it would be like Ave. So you know that song, Ave Maria. I don't know why every sermon I have to sing something. But Ave Maria, right? You know that song. What, the, what that word was used for in this day is when an emperor had died, the proclamation was Ave Caesar. It was like a, a joyous royal, uh, it was a comment on the glory of the, the Caesar, the emperor. And yet this angel sang it to this teenage girl. No wonder she's troubled 
by what he's saying. He's, he's using these words, and it wasn't in Latin, but the, 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 translate, the best translation we can find, we're looking at these things, and there's something about what he's saying that's more than just rejoice. It's like there's, a, there's an honor being bestowed on Mary that you don't see anywhere else in Scripture. And not only that, but the early church recognized this. And I love this little wordplay. But it's when you talk about Ave, well, what's Ave backwards? It's Ava, which is Latin for Eve. And what do we know in the context of Scripture? Mary is the reversal of the curse of Eve. That's what Mary is. That's what she represents. When you combine this with the proclamation, the Lord is with you and blessed are you among women, it contrasts exactly with Eve. Because what you see in Eve is she, when she falls and she eats the forbidden fruit, she's thrown out of the presence of God. The Lord is with you. Well, the Lord isn't with Eve when she's thrown out of the garden. And she is cursed. Among all women, her curse is the one that has cursed everyone who has followed, who has followed her. The curse on women. And so we see Eve is in the garden. She's seduced by a fallen angel into selfish disobedience by eating the forbidden fruit. And through her womb, all mankind is cursed to death and separation from God. But Mary is told of the purposes of God by an angel and humbly lays down her own will and selfless obedience. And through her womb, all mankind is blessed with life and the presence of God. That's the goodness of the story of what's happening here. It's in the context of the entirety of human history, women have been cursed because of the sin of Eve. And we have all, men and women, have fallen due to the sin of Adam and Eve. And yet, when Mary comes and she bears God in her womb, all of that is reversed and redeemed. And now the womb is a place of life and blessing because of the holiness of Mary's experience. God is that good. That he would be willing to do this for our sake, to reverse exactly the curses that we inherited through our disobedience. It's just, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. We should never dismiss the Christmas stories as blasé, as uh, uh, just boring, as, oh, yeah, we got to hear these Christmas readings every year. I know it's hard. I'm not condemning you because I've done the same thing. But we need to try to remember, like, oh, yeah, I'm actually inheriting the blessing from what this teenager did when she submitted to the purposes of God. Let's move on. So how does Mary respond to this amazing greeting she says she it says she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting is this the interesting point to make is that mary is not responding because she's mad that god's coming to her right she's not angry she's just amazed she's in awe as any of us i think would be hopefully right she's in awe now there's another story we're not going to get into, but there, there are people who see angels and they react in bitterness or anger or they react in disbelief. And yet because Mary's heart is in the right place, she reacts in awe. So when it says she's troubled, it doesn't mean like she's angry. It means she's in awe of what's happening to her. And so the angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And the entire basis of the promise that the angel Gabriel is delivering is the favor of God. It's not Mary's abilities as a mother. It's not her unbelievable acts of purity and goodness that earned her this promise. Although we have a lot of reason to believe that she was a remarkable young woman. This promise, though, is based on the outpouring of the favor of God. We see this also in the baptism of Jesus as the foundation of Jesus' ministry is God declaring over him, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's the foundation of Jesus' ministry. Not his ability, but the favor of God. And I want to argue that, and the reason I'm belaboring this point is because that's our foundation as well. The favor of God is the foundation of the promises that he wants to bring to fulfillment in our life. It's not our abilities. It's the favor that he has bought for us. The fact that we are in his family and that he loves us each as his sons and daughters. And behold, she will conceive and give in her womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Jesus means Savior. And the important thing to note about this is that it's an acknowledgement of our need for a Savior and the identity of our Savior. There is no other name by which man can be saved. There's no money that can save you. There's no other person that can save you. There's no other religion that can save you. But Jesus is the Savior, and we need him. What is happening in this moment is the promise of incarnation. Although God could have entered the world in any way he pleased, He chose to save us by the cooperation with a teenager, a teenage girl in the first century Palestinian Jew. The humility of God is stronger than the might of men. Let's move on here, right? Then there's promises about Jesus that in each of these, we could go in and we could write a book about what the angel's saying here because they're calling back to the history of prophecies that God has been making to his people. He will be great. He will be called son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. The one thing I'm going to say about that is that we often live as if Jesus' kingdom ended whenever he went to heaven. As if Jesus' power ended whenever he went to heaven. And yet what really happened is he made us his ministers of reconciliation. And the authority of Jesus resides in the church. And we are still called to continue that ministry of reconciliation and salvation. His kingdom will never end. It's only ever coming more and more. It makes no sense to do it this way. But it's good beyond our imagination. So then Mary, let's move along here. We're going to say, right, how does Mary respond to all this? Because there's so much in it. I can't imagine how I would respond if, some, if an angel came and just laid all this on me. Mary says, how can this be since I do not know a man? Which is like the easiest question of all time, right? It's like, okay, you're going to make me have a baby. I haven't done the right requisite things to have a baby. How can this be? And it's fascinating because you can contrast it with uh, other responses. It's, it's not that she's responding in cynicism. How can this be, God? There's no way. It's that she's responding in wonder. And that's truly the heart of what the Christmas story can do to us year after year, is remind us to respond to the purposes of God, the promises of God, in wonder and not in cynicism. She's saying, how can this be? Like, I'm amazed. 
And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One is to be born will be called the Son of God. When we look at this and we talk about Jesus and we talk about him being the son of God and the son of man, those are church words that mean church things. And sometimes we don't realize the significance of what's happening. But the point of this whole thing, God's entire purpose is to glorify humanity, to glorify us through the process of accepting his son. His whole point here. And in fact, it reminds me of something that Father House said that has always stuck with me. And this was just in casual conversation, so I hope he doesn't mind that I bring it up. But he says one of his jobs as a husband is to adore his wife and to beautify his wife. To make her the most beautiful she could possibly be. That that's part of how he serves his wife. And that might mean, you know, buying her a piece of jewelry or a nice dress. But more importantly, it means supporting her growth, supporting her development into beauty inside and out. And the reason I bring that up, and it's always stuck with me, is that that's God and the church. The church is described as the bride of Christ. And what God wants to do is he wants to beautify us. We think sometimes when God asks us to do things or to do things his way or he limits our ability that he is trying to take the fun out of life. And when all he's doing is trying to adorn us as a bride adorned for her husband. So when we talk about this, it's about Mary, but it's also about us. Because Mary has always been seen as a picture of the church. And so as we talk about the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary, the church fathers always said that's what happens at baptisms. The Holy Spirit comes on us, and he starts a work in us that he wants to bring to fruition. Each of us participate as bearers, maybe not of Jesus the baby, but of the image of God. And God wants to bring that to life fully in us. This is the mystery of Mary. We're now called to bear Christ in us as she did. And then there's a sign. He says, you know, your cousin Elizabeth has also conceived. She's supposed to be barren. It's a miracle. And why does the angel tell her this? Because she's going to need to stand in faith over the next few months. Because what she's about to go through is unbelievably difficult. Because all of a sudden, a pregnant teenage girl is walking around who's betrothed to another man. And that's scandalous. Each of us, if that person walked into our congregation and we knew the man who she was betrothed to, and all of a sudden she's pregnant, and Joseph's like, I don't know what happened. We would make our own conclusions. We would have our own judgments. So she's going to need to stand on the promise of God. And so the angel gives her this promise. Go to your cousin Elizabeth. See, the one who was called barren is now with child. That's her sign. That's her miracle that God, the angel's trying to strengthen her and encourage her here. For with God, nothing will be impossible. We all have our list of things that we think are impossible. But with God, nothing's impossible. So why don't you ask him, what's your list? God, what's your list of what's impossible? Because it's nothing. (laughs) But he's got, he wants to transform it so that our list becomes what God can possibly do in our life rather than what he can't do. And then, of course, Mary responds, and it just humbles me because I know for a fact that I have difficulty responding in this way. But Mary says, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, Let it be to me according to your word. We get to the center, the crux, the most important moment of the story. Mary's response. This is still the response that changes the world. When us 
weak humans say to God, let it be to me according to your word. That's the invitation as we read the Christmas story. Let it be to me according to your word. Are we going to respond to the purposes of God in that way? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that we operate not out of our own ability, but out of your favor. I pray that as we each go into this Christmas week, that we would have our eyes open to the wonder of what you have done for us. To the wonder of a baby born of a virgin who saves the entire world. And Jesus, I pray that you would be present with us this week. I pray that we would see the joy that is set before us. And Lord, I just pray that we would respond as Mary did. Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And let's continue with the prayers of the people. Let us pray for the church and for the world. Father, we pray for your holy Catholic Church. That we all may be one. Grant that every member of the church may truly and humbly serve you. That your name may be glorified by all people. We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons. That they may be faithful ministers of your word and sacraments. We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world that there may be justice and peace on the earth. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. That our works may find favor in your sight. Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. That they may be delivered from their distress. Give to the departed eternal rest. Let light perpetual shine upon them. We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. May we also come to share in your heavenly kingdom. All this we ask in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And with your spirit. Turn and greet your neighbor with the peace. The Lord be with you. With your spirit. My mic is working. <laughs> Works <That's> good. Very loud. <laughs> hey, I want to uh, thank everybody who was here yesterday helping with the food and the gift distribution. A very Merry Christmas uh, that we were able to participate for many people. So thank you very much for all of you who volunteered. Um, and I want to I also uh, encourage you this Thursday, Christmas Eve, 10 o'clock, this is a place where you're going to want to be. Amen. We have our annual Christmas Eve service, and our, you know our choir is wonderful, and they've been preparing. It is a great night, a great... It's an evening of wonder. <laughs> evening of wonder. That's right. Amen. Because everybody sings well on that night. Amen. <laughs> That's wonderful. You want to be there. 
candles, singing, Christmas carols. Uh, it's a great way to start your Christmas day. Uh, I encourage you all to be here. And be, between now and then, if you want to sneak into the church, which of course you can do anytime you want, and pray or whatever, yep. but, uh, and bring a poinsettia, then we would have even more points. Somebody snuck in. Yep. <laughs> the church and put a few down here, but uh, as, we'll just beautify it for the season of Easter. Amen. We're so thankful for those who uh, yesterday put up the Christmas trees. Now, I, what I don't understand is that, you know, that is a really, really, really nice artificial tree. <laughs> but even with that, have you noticed it grows every year? <laughs> it's a Christmas tree. Seems like it grows. Getting bigger and bigger. Amen. Well, praise be to God. Praise be to God. There are a few other things on the calendar you want to consider, and that is Christmas Day itself. There's a 10 o'clock service here, so Christmas Day at 10 o'clock. There is a St. Stephen is on the 26th, the Saturday at noon, and Monday is Holy Innocence at noon, and um, New Year's Day is not really New Year's Day. It's Holy Name Day when Jesus got his name, and that is on... January 1st at 10 o'clock. So just be aware of all those things. But above all, I want to see you on Thursday night. Merry Christmas. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together. Through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
Deacon just uh, preached on this morning. The fight and the the turmoil and the anguish caused by that God child that was in the womb of the woman. And uh, I tell you, it, it, at time of Advent, I obviously uh, enjoy the whole season and I use it for introspection and all that, but. It would do us all well if we took a, a couple hours as this season closes rapidly and just dwell on that. Just dwell on what we just talked about this morning. And, uh, of course, the result was it changed the world. Actually, you said it, but, uh, or they didn't emphasize it to her. It's, we, we have to realize that it changed eternity. Eternity. And uh, it was all about participating and having a good attitude. <laughs> and I'll tell you, it spoke to me. We welcome all baptized believers to receive the body and blood of Christ. It's the table of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love him, for those who want to love him more. So come if you have a lot of faith, and if you have a little, you come anyway. It's the Lord who invites you. His will is that you do come and you do participate at his table. The Lord be with you. With your Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks. For when Jesus humbled himself to come among us in human flesh, he fulfilled the plan that you formed before the foundation of the world to open for us the way of salvation. Confident that you promise will be fulfilled, we now watch for the day when Christ our Lord will come again in glory. So with all the choir of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory and we join in their unending hymn of praise. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Lord, you're holy indeed. The fountain of all holiness. 
Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts to make them holy, so they may become for us the body and blood of your Son, our Lord. Before he was given up to death, the death he freely accepted, he took bread, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Later when supper was ended, he took the cup, and again he gave thanks and praise. He gave it to them, and he said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch, Craig, and all of our clergy. And especially remember those who were sick or infirm in spirit, soul, or body. We lift up this day Olivia and Connie and Susan and Carl and Serena, Naomi, Rachel, Nadia, Kyle, Sonja, Sandra, Maria, Karen, Tammy and Thomas and Dan, Gage and Pamela and Barbara. And Doris, Catherine, you may add names of those you're praying for. Pray for Lamont. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken. And as we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles and the martyrs and all the saints. May you praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours. Almighty God and Father, now and forever. Jesus taught us to call God our Father. So we have courage to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Christ, our Passover, sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. The gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Christ died for you. Feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving.
Blessed are those who were called to the supper of the Lamb. The body of Christ. The blood of Christ.
You know, I've been meditating, uh, <clears throat> in fact, I've been praying uh, earnestly against the enemy's plan to use this pandemic to destroy our uh, our spirituality. And, uh, of course, many people are playing right into his hand and uh, telling him, don't have Christmas don't have it over, have it alone. And I, I want to ask you all to uh, make a stand and fight that with me. You make a point uh, this season to say Merry Christmas as often as you can to as many people as you can. You can tell them from six feet or you can tell them from two, but tell them. And... I guarantee you that the Lord will watch over our families. Amen? Amen. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Now, since known the world in peace, and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle and be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell, Satan, and all evil spirits who wander through the world seeking the ruin of our souls. Remember the gospel, God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against him. What better time of the year to demonstrate God's love and his unconditional forgiveness. He loves us, he's forgiven us, he's not mad at us, and he'll never leave us. Hopefully we can say that too about him. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you. And may they always. Amen. Victory is in you. Yes, victory.